Holman, you remember that uh, truck that I owned for like a minute, that uh, old 66 Chevy C20 that I drove around stock and it was fun? And then the one that I bought for you and I warned you don't go full SEMA on it. And that then you one. did. And then Gail said, well, since uh, we put all the effort into this, I'd like the pink slip. Yeah, so that yeah. happened. Uh-huh. And then uh, we took it to SEMA. Yeah. And then we took it to Dino's Get Down. And then we took it to the D-Max factory. And we took it to Hot Wheels event. And then I hurt the engine. And then we pulled the engine out. And then we brought the truck up to Sean Ramaja's place, Empire Fabrication, and he blew the whole truck apart, powder-coated everything, and we're putting it back together to bring it back to SEMA this year. So if you're headed to the SEMA show in November, Lockjaw will be in the Amsoil booth, which is pretty badass. What I didn't realize, Holman, was what a rat's nest of a wiring job that we created when we slapped it together before going to SEMA two years ago? Uh, well, it already was a rat's nest of wiring because when we drove it, it was sparking from the wires hanging from under the dash <laughs> as you drove and the wires was. hung under the dash and touched each other. So it's crazy. We have so many sensors connected to that Duramax engine and we uh, have, so it's got a MoTeC ECM, a MoTeC PDM for all the power distribution and it's all controlled by a 15 key keypad and we're out of CAN bus channels, so there's wires for all that stuff. It's, And what happened is that the guys who were awesome at Banks when they wired it, they did a decent job, but they loomed every single wire. So they're well, all black. going to a show. Well, no, no. but Yes, but now, so when we got it back, we're like, every wire's black. Where What goes to what? We can't tell what colors they are. Like We called up one of Sean Ramage's buddies who does race car wiring, and he's been working. And he went, hell no. That's funny. Yes, that's exactly what he said. I've met wiring guys, and uh, when they see somebody else's rat's nest, they want to cut it all out and start from scratch. And so we let him do that. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And we hired him, and he's been at Banks for the last couple days. I put him up in a hotel room. Only a couple days? Dude. He's going to be living out of that penthouse suite for a week or two. Nope, he doesn't have enough time because we are putting the engine in, and he's got to be done. (laughs) And he's getting on a plane to go somewhere on a trip. So uh, Anyway... He's getting it done, I hope, knock on wood. We tore the engine down. We re-seracoded the whole thing in Banks Red, which is, I made, I changed the Banks Red that Cerakote offered. Now it's a little deeper. It's really cool. It's got some metallic in it. By the time you're hearing this, the engine is back in the truck. And if all goes as well, fingers and toes crossed, it'll get on the dyno so we can finally tell people what it makes to the rear wheels under full boost. Because nobody knows. No one knows. We don't know. We don't have a freaking clue. We hope it makes like five, five fifty or more horsepower. Yeah, that's it. We don't know. No one's. Are you? No are one's you had a, a Whipple three-point leader. No one's had a Whipple supercharger on a Duramax L5P before. Like this. I was thinking, like six fifty would be good. We want six fifty, and then when we add the nitrous, we wanted in the eights or eight fifty. But we don't know. It's all we have a, a conference call. By the time you hear this, well, I've already had a conference call with Dustin Whipple, who's going to tell us how to uh, manage the heat a little better. It was just, it was generating so much heat. It's been quite an adventure trying to get this thing to run and run right. Knock on wood, it'll be running and I can drive it into the Amsoil booth this year at SEMA and not have to push it like we did two years ago because that sucked. So anyway, there's my Lockjaw update. The truck I don't own anymore. That's cool. Well, that's great on the uh, Lockjaw update. I want an update on what these freaking boxes are behind my chair here because they've been in the studio for a few weeks now, and uh, they're just mystery. You're like, oh, we got to do this for the show, and then 
you leave and you go, hey, well, do you still have those boxes? I'm like, the ones you left in the shed and forgot about? Yeah. So if you recall Scott Birdsall, our buddy who owns Old Smokey or what remains of Old Smokey, I found out that he partnered up with anti-gravity batteries to make jumper packs and all these really they, they cool- They do. Lithium, ion, yes. deep cycle batteries. That's what I knew them all for. All sorts of stuff. Exactly. And they also make uh, portable power stations and they've got some solar panels. But what I didn't know that they made was- Jumper packs. Ones that will start a big rig from like, you, you could pull the battery out completely, the stock battery, and jump a freaking Peterbilt with one of these jumper packs that you can hold in one hand. All right, well, I'm going to give you the MicroStart XP15 okay, box. I got it. And then uh, I'm going to have the XP20 over here. All right, can I borrow your knife? Uh, hold on. All right. For 250 bucks on the XP20 HD MicroStart, and this is, again, the uh, the HD heavy-duty model, you'll be able to jumpstart diesel trucks up to 8 liters and gas engines up to 10 liters. All right. Wow. Oh, damn. Look at what It'll is... allow you to uh, charge and power laptops, 12-volt devices, USB devices, 930 amps of starting current, 4,650 <laughs> amps peak, 24,000 milliamp capacity for 88.8 watt hours, 100 watt ultra fast charging, super fast recharging. So this thing will recharge itself in only an hour. And it's pretty compact. They're saying the most compact in the industry. Nine and a half inches by four inches by two inches. Comes with a uh, bright LED flashlight built in, a carrying case, and then all of the accessories. That's a lot of uh, capability for uh, 250 bucks. And on top of that, it's got a color LCD screen uh, that tells you everything that you need to know about the status of the pack and whatnot. So what these are, are basically instead of carrying a set of heavy-duty jumper cables like I typically do that take up like the whole underbody of your seat because, you know, the, the, the cheap ones you get at Kmart or Target or Walmart or wherever, they don't they aren't thick enough to start a lot of vehicles. So you'll get to something with a big draw, something that requires a lot of coal cranking amps. And a lot of times the cables just aren't big enough. In fact, well, there's uh, too much resistance in the line. Yep. Right. And so what you could do is this little box, this little tiny box that could probably fit in most people's center console, has enough juice to replace those jumper cables. And the best part is you don't have to nose two vehicles together or have somebody inexperienced figure out how to hook them up. You can go directly to the battery from this jump pack, boom, ready to go. So it takes a lot of space and gives that back to you in your rig, which is super awesome. So this XB15, it kind of reminds me, it looks like your a, makeup a kit. suitcase. No, my makeup kit. Well, that's what, <laughs> no, 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 I don't oh. have a makeup kit. Well, it's not How that small. You. Yours is no. much bigger. <laughs> yeah, no, mine opens up and I've got all yeah. the MAC cosmetics inside. You know what I'm saying? My blush and my rouge. All right, and uh, real quick on the XP20, I'm excited about this because I'm going to take it with me on my trip, which I'll get into in a minute. But this comes with carrying case, uh, smart clamp jumper cables, USB-C to USB-A cable, mm -hmm. a uh, USB-C to USB-C cable, which I'm going to really enjoy using on my new iPhone uh, 15 Pro. You did not order one. Did you really? Yeah. Of course. You're you Friday. I, I'm on the every two-year plan, and then my kid gets my uh, my old one, so... That way, I only have to buy uh, one phone uh, every two years rather than one phone every year. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, this has the uh, car charger and the cigarette lighter adapter. So these things are going to be awesome. Like I said, they replace jumper cables for most people in your vehicles. Um, I'm looking forward to taking this out. I'm going to be on literally a week-long trip through the desert. Super cool. I I'll just give you a little bit of detail on it. We are attempting to reopen an over 100-mile route that hasn't been on a map since 1912. <laughs> and we're going oh out with the God. BLM. So wait, 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 is this, are there, so there's no tracks, obviously. There's not, like, how do you know that you're on a trail? So 
I'm going with uh, Desert Explorer, Billy Creech. And uh, he and I are partnering with uh, my friend Chris Collard, who's a photojournalist and members of the Bureau of Land Management. And they've agreed to take us uh, out. And if we can show them that we can make this old trail compliant, they're going to add it back to the map and make it a new overlanding trail in uh, in California. What do you mean by compliant? Because the last time it was on a map was in 1912. And since that time, there's been private property and wilderness areas. So the original route will only be able to do about 40% of it because the rest of it's in wilderness areas. So we have to find a way to get from point A to point B while going around all the obstacles that exist now, roads that have washed out over 100 years, wilderness area where you just can't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. Let me put it this way. There was a corner of the trip that would have been 100 yards to, cr- to cut a corner, but because that little tiny corner was a wilderness area, the BLM said, yeah, no, that's not happening. That would have taken an act of Congress for you to drive across Are that. you kidding me? So, Wait, in, how big? Literally, how big was this corner? Like 100 yards. Just driving the cutting a corner across to to attach two roads together that don't attach currently. What? So we have to figure out how to go from point A to point B using as much of the old road as possible yeah. while not running afoul of any of the current rules and regulations. Can you build a wooden bridge? Uh, no, but what we did do is I was able to find the high resolution uh, map from 1912 and 1910, which are the the two sides of this trail, and I was able to match it up with the satellite imagery on Onyx maps. And we were able to route the entire route based on some roads, some portions of this road still exist today as other roads. And we were able to go through and map it out. And we've got a route that we think is going to be compliant. And if everything works out, we're going to be able to bring overlanders, yet another trail here in California through the uh, MDHCA. So check it out. We've got the Mojave Road. We've got the EMHT. And then we'll have this new road, which I'm not going to tell you what it is because I don't want... I, I don't want to jinx what we're working on, and I want to make sure that we do it right. Who will name the road? Or is it already, it already, name? already has a Yeah. Already oh, has a name. really? Yeah. It, it's And you'll find the history fascinating. I think uh, maybe after I get back, because in fact, uh, while we're recording this, I'm out on the trail, so I will have to let you know whether or not I used the uh, micro jump start <laughs> pack because I ran my fridge too long for my, mm-hmm. my cold uh, uh, Dr. Peppers out I'm not in the really desert. Wor- I'm not really worried about you. I'm worried about one of the guys that you're with. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, I'm taking this with me because uh, this is going to be the, the perfect tool because- with all overlanders, uh, we tend to carry a lot of gear with us. So anything lightweight and smaller is better. So I'm super excited about that. And uh, if we're successful in this mission, we will be able to, A, tell you the history about it because we found, thanks to the MDHCA archives, a ton of newspaper articles from when this road was originally built with them talking about it. And even cooler, we're going to be able to bring back another trail to uh, overlanders We've got Mojave Road, EMHT, and now this trail. And for those of you who are familiar with, have you ever heard of the Explorer Club? No. So the Explorers Club is a club out of New York that has chapters internationally. And they have flags that you can submit to go on an expedition under a flag of the Explorers Club. And each of these flags has history because they get reused and they get hung up. There's a whole thing. Uh, we'll have Billy on to talk about it. Uh, you can but, see the look on my face is perplexed. So... Do a little research on it okay. after the show. Look up the Explorers Club. We are actually doing this as a Explorer Club expedition. And this is not under the, a flag. It's not the Explorers like associated with Boy Scouts. Those Explorers. Uh, no. Okay. No. And on top of that, they have awarded us for this trip a Rolex Explorer watch to wear on the expedition under their flag. 
So Billy's going to be wearing a uh, Rolex. What? We have to give it all back. Okay. But there's, no. there's these artifacts that come with you that are part of the expedition, and they get recorded into Explorer Club history. It's amazing. So we're... This is like a once-in-a-lifetime deal where I'm going to be able to join a small group, r- hopefully reopen a de- uh, desert trail that has been closed in wilderness area and give something back. So if you guys want to support us in this cause, head over to mdhca.org and donate or become a member today because one of the reasons we're going to be able to do this is because of the support of MDHCA. And I'll be writing a story in OVR Mag about it. Not often that there's a private, public, government partnership where you work together well, to everyone, reopen something. I mean, everyone. When was the last time you heard of a trail well, reopen? Well, not only that, like how many times have you heard anyone work with the Bureau of Land Management? Never to do I, something I, cool. No, I, I haven't. So usually, is they're the enemy of fun. So this is going to be awesome. So I'm I'm really looking forward. To it. We've got uh, again the three of us, and then we've got uh, a field manager, I believe a geologist and archaeologist, and maybe a botanist going with us. So they're going to make sure that the the trail doesn't run through like you know endangered species and through sensitive cultural areas and all of that kind of stuff. So it's going to be awesome because these people on the trail are going to be able to tell so much information about where we're going and and the area around us. So we're going to be learning as we're going. That's super cool. All right, well, uh, if you're looking for more information on these really awesome anti-gravity micro-start packs, head over to antigravitybatteries.com and check them out, and I'll tell you what I think. Hmm, but what do you think about Nissan? Uh, I'm so stoked for the hard body to come out. I think that thing looks so rad. Uh, I think Nissan's awesome. I think if you're in the market for a brand new truck and you need reliability, dependability, and some value with a truck that's stylish and screwed together really well, then I think you should have Nissan on your list. So you can head on over to your local Nissan dealer where you can check out the Nissan Frontier, the Nissan Titan, or the Nissan Titan XD. Of course, the Titans have the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And without Nissan, this show wouldn't be possible. So uh, if you do us a solid... If you're in the market, put them at the top of your list and head over to NissanUSA.com where you can build and price the Nissan that matches your needs and check out those new trucks today. Hey, Holman, if you had a friend with a 2006, let's say Ram with a 5.9 Cummins, and he was looking for, he's like, I, I want to tow with this thing, but it's a little anemic. I need a tuner. Who do I turn to? Well, if you uh, want a tuner that has active safety and isn't going to blow up your ride while giving you uh, better drivability, then there's only one place to go, and that's BanksPower.com. You got your choice of the Economine tuner or the six-gun tuner. Both are in line. So when you pull them off, it's like they were never there. You can add over 100 horsepower on each of those. One's designed for fuel economy and one's just flat-out power. Find yours at bankspower.com. On this episode, we've got five-star hotline calls, your email, a truck review, and Stephen Lutz from Rugged Routes. It's all coming up. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We have the lowered and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. Oh, oh. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. So, Holman, Stephen Lutz reached out to you on Facebook, correct? I guess about some Nissan parts. He knew that we were doing a lot with Nissan. And then somehow your conversation kind of veered into off-road navigation. Yeah, this was like 
a year and a half ago. So we've got this nice little uh, DM thread coming. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, it took you a year and a half to realize that he might be a good guest? No, no, no. I, I offered it, and then it just took us that long to put it all together. I see. No, I did not drop the ball on that one, probably. <laughs> but but we can rectify either way. We can rectify it by calling him right now. Okay. All right. I've got his number. He oh, it's nine oh nine. So that's he's in Southern California. Here. He is in SoCal. All right. Let's dial Stephen Lutz. Hello, Steve. It's Lightning and Holman Truck Show Podcast. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. How are you guys doing? What's happening? Fantastic. We're doing awesome now that we got you on the phone, and uh, we've got a quick intro to play. So please do not move. Welcome to the parts department. Screw, nut, filter, oil, grill, tools, wheels, tires, brakes, lights, gears, belts, and your wife warns you not to. Don't you spend our money. And then you'll want to come back. So apparently, Stephen, it took like a year and a half to line you up as a guest, and we're, I guess well, we're a little slow. It started because he had like features in magazines, and he's like, hey, could you recirculate this photo? And hey, I'm doing KOH. Oh, by the way, I make hardcore Nissan parts. Like, you should be on the show in a year and a half or something like that. <laughs> I think that's kind of how that we works. Are, yeah. We are not smart, efficient, uh, or, or talented. I think we all just do the best we can. Maybe so. And, and some people's best is way better than ours. Ours is, uh, we have a, a, a motto on the show. Show. I'm actually lightning hasn't heard this before. I'm going to uh, introduce it. Can I, can it I right guess now. what it is? Yeah, be average. It's close. Okay. No, this is going to be a new T-shirt. What's that? Truck show podcast. Where good enough is. Where good enough is. Oh, I like that. Yeah. 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 Doesn't that flow, hey. it just flows Where right off the tongue? Good enough is. Yeah. I feel like that's how we operate. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down because that is definitely a T-shirt. Where yeah, yeah, good yeah. enough is. Uh huh. I'll add to my T-shirt file. Yeah, That's yeah. why we have to have guests like uh, Stephen Letson who are better than us because it elevates us. Hopefully, it might have been smarter to play the entrepreneur jingle because we'll play it. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I should. Just, yeah, what the heck? Go uh, for it. All right. So let me just find my. Oh, because he's an entrepreneur. Here we go. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? What does it take to be an entrepreneur? Quit your job and get a Wow, Stephen got hit with uh, two jingles, two and we, intros. And nobody knows what he does still. We're no. 20 minutes in the show. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so you guys hit it yeah. off. Uh, uh, Holman and, and Steve were two lovebirds talking about Nissans. And then, I guess- That seems that you, seems You found out extreme. that- you, so, so Holman, you found out that he is be, the guy behind Rugged Routes and Rugged Rocks. Rugged Rocks offers Nissan parts, off-roading Nissan parts, and then Rugged Routes- are like plugins for Lowrance GPS systems. Yeah, so if you have uh, like a Lowrance, uh, a lot of people use them for racing, KOH, Baja, uh, fishing boats, um, but they're not really necessarily the easiest to use for like recreation. And he basically uh, has been working on uh, the rugged routes in order to load recreational level data into your existing Lowrance. So if you don't want to buy... Uh, you know, a different uh, unit and you want to, you know, be able to maximize the unit you have, this might be an opportunity if you're somebody who pre-runs or races or or you want to steal your dad's uh, Lowrance out of his fishing boat. Take it off-road. Yeah. Steve, how did this all start? Well, uh, which part? <laughs> the <laughs> Nissan part or? Let's start with, like a start with Nissan. Well, the Nissan stuff started when well, my parents bought a Nissan. I was I was five years old and they, they bought a 1990 Pathfinder. And that was how I got to preschool. 
my mom drove me all around in it and then uh, it became my first car as we were growing up we had spent some time in the desert did some dirt bike riding that sort of thing that thing had seen the dirt a little bit here and there over the years and when it became mine i started playing in the dirt as well and being a, a broke 16 year old that basically was just trying to work with what i had and i turned to the internet and found some forums where i found a bunch of other people that were also just looking for parts for their nissans and at the time i was working for a, a company that's no longer around called mxbike.com and we were selling uh, dirt bike parts so that's how i got introduced to e-commerce so i just kind of brought in my e-commerce experience to the nissan world started making connections at shows etc cetera, etc cetera, and then it uh, just kind of snowballed and I originally was only going to do it for a small handful of years, but, you know, 17 years in, somehow I'm still here. So there you have it. So are you like the go-to Nissan purveyor? For a lot of stuff, yeah. But I've also tried to play nice with other players in the Nissan market. Um, so maybe not the best businessman in, in that regard, but I I try not to step on too many toes in this space. You know, I, I've done a lot of, like, solid axle swap stuff on the, the super old trucks, like, like uh, late 80s, early 90s, and even through the early 2000s. And then as we got into the second gen Xeris and Frontiers, started doing a lot more locker and gear stuff. So I worked with Superior Axle and Gear when they were around to, to bring gears out and kept those available ever since. And just worked with a bunch of companies, uh, just kind of filling in gaps here and there where where I saw it needed to be built. Well, what I love about it is... Uh... You have it set up, super easy to navigate. So Armada, Frontier, Hardbody, Pathfinder, Patrol, Titan, Xterra. And then it's broken down by year, make, model. And then it's broken down also by category. So it's really hard sometimes to uh, find aftermarket Nissan parts. Or somebody might have a listing and you don't they don't have the, the right year range or, or whatever. It's nice because I can go out and I can pick a 05 to 21 Frontier, which is the D40. And then I can go through and... You've got, you know, listings for you know, everything from air intakes and lockers to axle shafts, coilovers, clutches, diff covers, headers, let's see, uh, leaf springs, leveling kits, ring and pinion, which are sometimes hard to find, uh, and then solid axle swap stuff. So, I mean, you really have it covered for uh, for the Nissan enthusiast. And by the way, this is yeah. ruggedrocksoffroad.com. If you just Google rugged rocks, it'll pop right up. That's exactly it. And yeah, a lot of these parts, uh, you know, I, I still have a lot of them listed, even they're not if they're not available anymore, just so people kind of know. And uh, still, it's easier to find me when people are looking for stuff. And, and sometimes I still get tech calls for, for things that I can't fulfill, but I still try to send people off in the right direction. So I really just try to be as helpful as I can, regardless of what comes through the phone. So, you know, over the years, a lot of things have changed, but, you know, I'm still doing it. Still still doing everything I, I can in the Nissan space. And, and what year did this start, Steve? And did it start as a brick and mortar? Did you have like a little 1,200 square foot unit or was it online? 2006, right? Is it 06? Started 2006. Yeah, I had a, I had a full load cast and uh, an old laptop and I was posted on the couch for a month and a half. Couldn't really do anything. So um, that, that was the, the beginnings of actually putting the website together and, and just selling online. I eventually did get some shop space for a handful of years. And through the, the peak of the Nissan years, uh, we, were, we were building some stuff and we, we had a good thing going on there. And then the last handful of years kind of dialed it back down. So we're not doing work on trucks anymore, but, but the parts are still available you know, still doing what I can to get orders out. So, 
So then how did that parlay into uh, the other business, which is uh, navigation? So out of personal need, I had heard about Lorance being used in the racetracks for a really long time and eventually got my hands on one and realized that although the hardware could be solid hardware, the software side of it was quite lacking. So I had reached out to Lorance and it was really just kind of dumb luck timing. And if I told him I was a computer nerd, by the way, I'm a computer nerd, been doing electronics and computer stuff since I was about six years old or so. Just kind of introduced myself, told him what I wanted to do. I knew what, what I wanted to do was possible. And turned out that they were piloting some new software on, on the inside of the company that they were able to get me access to. Started playing around with it. And, and once I did my first map or two, I was like, holy cow, like, I'm not the only one that's going to want this. So I, I started building those maps where I could. So, you know, I'm still doing Nissan stuff, but then if the phone's not ringing and caught up, caught up on other things, you know, kind of shift gears, started trekking down this this other path of making Lowrance, uh even more useful in the off-road space. Man, I have so many questions. Okay, so when when did uh, the, the Nissan thing become full-time or was it full-time? And then when did the rugged routes become like real, more than just one map? Uh, that happened probably around 2014 or 15, something like that. Uh, it, it's hard to really remember because once I made my first couple maps, I spun up a website pretty much overnight. And I was just like, you know, what? I'm not going to advertise it. I'm just going to get it ranked in Google. And if people are looking for what I have, hopefully it'll it'll come up and we'll just kind of see where it goes. I, I started making sales probably... I was just a handful of days later. I mean, it was slow, like really, really slow. It was kind of proof of concept to that my, you know, my possibilities in my mind just started kind of unraveling after that. Lorenz, take us to the, the actual piece of hardware. I think that a lot of our listeners who maybe have never done any hardcore wheeling or, or off-road in the desert and whatnot don't really know what this device even is. I mean, you can imagine it's a GPS device and it's a really yeah, beautiful think map. Of, think system. of it as a, a ruggedized, you know, hardware uh, made for basically the worst wet dust, everything, and vibration-proof. I mean, this is the same systems that they're using in trophy trucks and things like that. Big rubber buttons with arrows on them and a high-res, relatively high-res screen, although some of the early ones were like dot matrix green. And, like, I remember <laughs> the original ones that looked like, I guess a, a lot of people probably are familiar with, like, what depth finders or uh, these things that are used on boats, right? They very look look very similar in size and feel. Then over the years, of course, the, the screens got much, much better. And all the guys uh, from King of the Hammers to all the Baja, you know, 1000s, you use a Lowrance. Some guys also supplement it with an iPad and some other devices. But really, Lowrance is, I think, kind of the gold standard for off-road nav. Right, Holman? Certainly for racing. What else is there? What what am I not aware of that's out there? That well, Garmin be... has a has some new uh, you know options. Obviously, we've you know done a lot yep. with Onyx on the consumer side. It, there's a lot of different categories. And I guess I meant I'm Magellan sorry. is I another have one. Said that I meant I meant the hardcore racer. So in that case, it's so, so Lawrence and Garmin is now jumping into that with their new Baja setup uh, that they just what unveiled uh, you know beginning of the year I think or okay. end of last year. Yeah. And so they gave you this software, and what was the first map that you made? Where? I did Jonathan Valley first. So home of King did, of the I, Hammers. Yeah, that was the first one. Uh, had some experience out there with people showing up and not having any idea where the trails were, right? Because there's only a few that have 
like plaques, but it's not like you just pull into the lake bed and you're like, Oh, there's the trail. And, and you just, you go have fun. It's your, if you're not familiar with it in Johnson Valley, you can wander around out there for quite some time before you find something. And just because so you it, find it, something it, doesn't it, mean it, you can do it. I mean, you may get to a trailhead or get in the middle of one and then go, Oh, what now? <laughs> How do I get out? Or not even, yeah. I mean, some <laughs> of those trails are hard to determine what the trail is. It just looks like the side of the mountain. No, absolutely. Well, one time we were out there, we were out there for probably three, four days and we were loading up, ready to leave. Nobody was out there. I forgot what time of year it was, but we we're on the way out and a couple trucks roll in from out of state and you can just kind of see them bombing down Boone Road. And as soon as they hit the lake bed, they slowly just kind of slowed down, stopped, looked around and then they didn't move. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, where are we? <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's exactly. easy out there to get uh, yeah. to get off your route for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, I approached them. I was like, "Hey, you know, like, are you guys familiar with the area?" And they're like, "Where are the trails?" And so I I kind of gave them a few pointers and and uh, did what I could to help them out before we left. But I, I don't know. I hope they had a good time. I don't know who they were or, or don't remember where they were from. But yeah, they they didn't really do much research before they showed up. So the, that map. Can anyone help us? Hello! Yeah. Hello! I, I Can anyone that. help They're us? actually in the open desert. I don't think they're We're in a lost. No, that's a megaphone. They've they, got a megaphone. No, they're not, yeah. they're not in a drainage or a sewer or I'm something just, no, like that. No, there's a PA system. Hello? <laughs> Hello? They, oh, Steven, can you help us? No, I don't, I don't yeah. think that's accurate. Uh, sure. Maybe not that loud, but it would probably would have helped to have a megaphone, honestly. Uh, or you do what yeah, our friend Bernard Leitner does and again. just start lighting you know, tires on fire. Oh, yeah, once right. your steering wheel oh. comes off in your hand. Is that what he was? The tires? No, I thought it was something else. I don't know. It was something, something black and rubbery yeah, that yeah. made a lot of smoke. Yeah. Uh, so you've got them for Ocotillo oh, yeah. Wells, really famous spots in Southern California. Ocotillo Wells, Glamis yeah. Dunes, Johnson Valley, the San Bernardino National Forest. Uh, you've got maps for quite a few spots here in, in Southern California. You've got a Baja, of course. What is your, do you have plans for some of our East Coast listeners? I do actually. So the some of the more famous parks out there are projects that have gotten started. They've been more difficult to work on because I, I have approached some of the parks directly, and they don't really have much interest in in working with me in most cases. But that's not always the case. I don't know if you've heard of a place called uh, Carolina Adventure World. Almost done with that one, and then uh, I've got a few others in here that are wrapping up i forgive me i don't have them all off the top of my head here but i've got how do you go about steve making how do you go about making a map are are you just doing latin launch like how are you are you using google earth yeah what's your you have do you have a base map are you using a lorance base map every project is a little bit different but typically what i do is i don't use google like pretty much at all all of my data is actually like for the background is not satellite imagery. It's actually aerial imagery. So these are pictures taken from a plane at low like flyovers. So I start with that covering the area that I'm going to cover. Then the, the data that I lay on top of there usually comes directly from the forestry service or BLM national park service. It just depends on the area. Uh, but that data needs a lot of cleanup because some of this data goes back 20, 30 years, the inception of GPS, and some of it's a lot newer. Um, some of it's incomplete. Uh, as you guys probably know, over time, the roads will, will actually migrate. So you figure if you have a lot of traffic going down a, a curved road, that road can 
have tendency over a long period of time to to migrate to the outside of the turn or uh, let's say there's a washout something weird and then somebody decides to go around it and then everybody else starts to go around it you know five ten years later now that's the more prominent route and it um you know you're in the middle of the desert so these kinds of things don't get corrected sometimes and it's uh it's hard to say what's right and what's wrong unless you're you're actually on the ground so I'll take a lot of this data, overlay it on top of the imagery, make sure everything lines up and makes sense. Anything that doesn't make sense, then I'm boots on the ground and I, I go check it out. So this could be a very, very time consuming process, making sure that all the data is correct. How do you receive feedback from, like you said, boots on the ground? Like you're doing this Carolina uh, Adventure Park. If we have listeners that want to contribute to some of these uh, courses, like, hey, you're five feet too far to the left or whatever, how do they give you feedback? So usually I'll, I'll work with the, like in that instance, I'm working with the park directly, which is actually a pretty rare thing. Typically I'm, I'm out doing it myself. Like Ocotillo, for example, is one that, like it's close to home, but it's very, it was a very complicated one because BLM jurisdiction covers like three different field offices, but then the land is also California state parks at the same time. So it was a disaster. So I, I got a bunch of data from them just to get me started, but then I eventually scrapped it all and just bombed around in my Xterra for like, I don't even remember how many days it was, but it was literally wake up at sun up, pedal to the metal all day, sleep, wake up the next morning, pedal the middle all day. And I got fresh live tracks for every road in August. You just described Um, my favorite Saturday and Sunday (laughs) and Monday. (laughs) Although, are you normally pedal to the metal? You like kind of, you kind of waltz through the No, I I go fast. Why do you do? I got 8,100s, dude. Yeah, I got big shots. No, I'm not Jeep. saying you can't, but generally no, speaking, I like, you, you I don't like to be, trounce through it, do you? I mean, I usually cruise when I can, 45, 55 miles an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like to cover ground. I like to do 100 plus miles in a day and still get to camp by 3 p.m. So I'm there before the sun goes down. I can set up camp and actually enjoy camp for a little while. There you go. Sounds cool. I like it. Yep. So these yeah. maps that you have uh, built are all available at ruggedroutes.com. And then you also have a selection of GPS devices, one in which I find really cool. And I don't know if you built it or not. I want to learn more about it. It's not truck related necessarily, but a lot of our owners, a lot of our listeners have UTVs and you've got a UTV infrared belt temp sensor, which is GPS enabled because every guy, guy who races these things or is really hard on their UTVs smokes belts. It's just like a thing. And there's always a complaint about not being able to see the belt temp from the cockpit. And for whatever reason... Once the smoke comes out, it's too late, folks. And, and for whatever reason, yep. no one displays it on any any of the gauges in the cab. And because I, they it, don't want you to know how bad it really is. I don't know. But so here, he's got one that integrates, I guess, into Lawrence. Tell us about it. The Lawrence hardware has what's called NEMA 2000. It's a NEMA 2000 connection. It's basically uh, a marine grade data bus and it it uh, allows you to interface all sorts of things with it so i created this belt temp sensor that integrates in with that existing standard and allows us to display that that live belt temperature sensor uh, data directly on the screen so the the overlay the data overlays on the lorans themselves are very configurable so whether it's your speed over ground your your heading uh, your voltage and a number of other things that you can overlay on the screen right out of the box. This adds to that 
and just makes it really convenient. So even if let's say you're in a race car, let's say you have two units, you can have those two units. Uh, and when I say units, two GPS devices network together and you have the belt temp sensor on there as well. You can even display it on, on both units at the same time. So it's, it's very expandable and, and pretty flexible setup. For 240 bucks, you should be selling a lot of these because the people go through belts like crazy and they're just guessing. And there are some, I only know of like two or three belt good temp sensors and everyone complains about them. And I, and, and this one integrates to the, your GPS system. Yeah, so you're looking you right, right on the right there for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, you need to be placing some Facebook ads, my friend, like get this, get this out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Actually, when this product first got launched, I put a lot of effort into getting a lot of media together and all sorts of stuff. And I, I was, you know, getting really excited, gearing up to to do the big unveiling, right? And, and just push it out on all the, the networks. And that was about about a week or two before COVID. So I was like, hey, I got this great new product. And then lights out worldwide, right? <laughs> so oh. it was terrible timing to launch a product. Yeah. Do it. yeah, so that was that was kind of a rough one, and it was a really slow launch after that. I, I did have a number of customers that were in the loop on it leading up to it, so I got them taken care of and uh, have been telling them ever since. But it uh, it definitely didn't have the product launch that I was really hoping for, but it, it's still done well. We so, need to get this in the hands of uh, our buddy Corey Willis at PPEI. He's a really – he's an avid racer. Like, he's not pro okay. level yet. I'm gonna semi-pro. I don't know what it is. I don't know what class journeyman, but I know he's freaking fast. So fast, uh, but not fast enough to be pro. I don't know. I think pro is about like pro amateur. Your 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 sponsorship, pro am, right? I don't know. Mm. I'll ask him. Regardless, I'm gonna send him the link. This is cool. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just so you know, I've got a number of other networkable accessories that will tap into that same NEMA 2000. Because you're not limited to one device. Uh, the cool thing about that interface is there a limit? A, a, there is technically a limit, but if you ever hit that limit in a race car, uh, I would be questioning the driver <laughs> or the car. Well, there's sanity. <laughs> there's the, the limit's very high. You could you could hook up uh, about 250 or so devices. So That's is this like yeah. like CAN bus? How does this work? It is a version of CAN bus. So. Ah. Yeah, so on the on the physical layer, it's CAN bus, and then there's a marine standard stacked on top of that. Gotcha. And what else are you working on? Can you tell us? Can you divulge the secret sauce? Uh, we can talk about one of them because it's actually posted on the website already. Uh, it's not available yet, but I did just post it. It's the device there called the Trailmark. It's basically a USB interface for a, a programmable like macro keypad. And so the intent here is for the guys that are out doing a lot of pre-running, you can pre-program all your notes into a macro keypad, and now you have a single button press race notes. This is called a trail mark, and it is a, it looks like four by six, so there's 24 square buttons. It looks like it's USB, so you would just put what a, um, you'd put your own markers on each button. So, so like it would be key. like double danger or sheer drop off or silt bed. And you basically can just hit those and mark that as you're going through them. Exactly. And what the production one, so I've got a few prototypes and I've got a couple races that have been playing with uh, the prototypes, but the production ones, the what's going to happen is you'll have the option to drop waypoints off to the left and right of your current location, as well as drop it off to the left and right of where you were, say three seconds ago. So if you pass something, 
or if you're notoriously hitting something a second or two late, then when you hit the button, it's like lightning with the drops. Drop the waypoint where you back. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, light, lightning means drops that basically when he pushes the button, it's it goes back in time three seconds earlier. I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, hold on. I'm yeah. I'm really interested in the trail mark mainly because of the price. I just can't get over how how affordable they're just giving them away. This is <laughs> at zero dollars and zero cents. I mean, you know, I'm going to buy ten of them. You definitely have zero cents. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> See what he is there? Both spellings. Yeah. See, you were late again. I yeah. was. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, so the price will be determined on that, but we'll we'll yeah. get that nailed down. And then, uh, just so you know, too, you're not limited to that keypad. So there's a number of different keypads that have different numbers of keys so there's a company called x keys and if you check them out online they've got keypads you can get 128 keys if you want to go really crazy um so you're not limited to that 24 you can scale down too to something like a four or a six key keypad if you want to so basically it would be uh thumbs up thumbs down and death those would be the <laughs> the three keys on that one you're right i mean listen at some point <laughs> exactly. at some point you're just actually typing the words in you know you're like don't go over this <laughs> yeah. bump right here because it drops off on the other side as a window maker like no you, truck you, gobbler right yeah. yeah obviously that's going to be a bit overkill but yeah i feel like the the 24 key or like 18 key something in there would be pretty usable for for a lot of people but there are some navigators out there that like having a lot of options so having this as uh, an interface that then the navigator can kind of bring their own keypad it's kind of cool so if you have this interface let's say in a car or in a pre-runner and you're you're swapping navigators all the time the navigator could just bring their keypad you're not stuck with you know the car or whatever man i gotta get a parker pumper i gotta get a helmet i get a race suit and a keyboard now (laughs) they gotta get a keyboard exactly (laughs) it's it's better than a laptop you know what i mean like can you imagine all the dust that's getting in the keys and all this stuff a laptop this is gonna be be ruggedized the uh they also offer uh you got the lawrence uh, serious weather and radio receiver which is pretty cool because you can overlay uh weather on your maps too right that that's a pretty handy feature to have for uh, people that are in terrain that is determined sometimes by what the weather's doing. Yep, absolutely. So that's actually a, a Lowrance accessory that was originally made for the marine market, but it you know it doesn't matter if you're on land or water or whatever. So you can yeah, definitely use the weather overlay and also use it for receiving satellite satellite radio. So you can pipe that into your stereo or whatever and use the, the Lowrance as your head. I, I like that, but you know, Lightning, who is also deaf. Complains that uh, Sirius XM is too uh, compressed and he hates all music on it. I have a really rough time listening to Sirius XM. But you can't even hear normal sounds. I hear normal sounds just fine. Wait, are you talking? <laughs> uh, it's just <laughs> awful. All the hi-hats are slurred and voice is okay, but music is just god-awful. <laughs> Just awful. I mean, it's there if you've got if it's the only thing. If you're on a boat in the middle of in you your know, flippy a floppies, lake, yeah, and you, you, you know, and you're in the middle of the mountains, and the only thing reception you forgot all your MP3s, and yeah, it's fine for that. But uh, yeah, audio for music in let's say a, a headset in your helmet, like if you're going to run it through an intercom or something, a side by side or something, it sucks. Like it sucks getting, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, just to kill the the dead. The dead noise. Uh, yeah. Looking at ruggedroutes.com, you offer the full system. You can buy your Lowrance Baja HDS 10 Pro off-road GPS system. You can get the maps. So you are kind of a one-stop shop as it appears at ruggedroutes.com, correct? I don't sleep. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll also add that uh, you know the price points of Lawrence is all over the place. It's sometimes hard to know which unit uh, to to get, but you have a really nice uh, compare feature on there as well, so people can uh, can compare them and see exactly why one costs uh, you know uh, thirty six hundred dollars, and well another one might cost two thousand dollars. So I'm sure since you don't sleep, yeah. they can just call you too, and you can walk them through based on their use case. Yep, I get that kind of question all the time, as well as I have a lot of how-to videos and introductory type stuff on the Rugged Routes YouTube channel, which helps a lot of people out as well. A lot of walkthroughs on just how to do stuff, uh, with, if they get the unit straight out of the out of the box, they uh, can use that as a great resource, or if they get stuck, absolutely, give me a ring and I will do it again over the phone. Let me let me wrap this up with a kind of a basic question here about the, the someone like me, who, when do I graduate from a handheld something on my iPhone, like a, a piece of software or an app, to a Lowrance navigation system. When you're rich? No, it's. I know that they're super expensive, but like at what point does the app not work for me anymore? Is that because I'm out of cell reception or when do I graduate? Why do I need a Lowrance as opposed to another offering? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So there's a couple of factors. Uh, and I get this kind of question over the phone fairly often as well and really the question i get is why why buy this and and i tell people it's it really comes down to how you want to manage your data if you want a subscription-based service on a device that is a bit more common but not really meant to be bouncing around and, and being out in the elements then uh you know then don't buy it but the focus that I have on this, as far as the mapping side of it goes, is the simplicity of it. The the maps are delivered on an SD card. You don't need to download anything. You know, before uh, a trip, you're not having to purge your your data uh, in between trips if you run out of space or any of those types of things. You just swap the chip. So as you build up a small library of different maps, you just I keep them in like in a, a SD card case like for pelican makes when they're, they're waterproof so i just throw that in my glove box and depending where i go i just swap the chip out and it makes it really easy it's a one-time purchase no subscriptions or anything like that as far as the hardware goes you know we've already kind of talked about that they are robust in fact over at lawrence when they test their their hardware they they actually freeze these things as part of their their testing so it's it's heavily heavily tested and, and a robust piece of hardware uh, but the other part of it is, is it depends on who you're riding with and what you're doing. So like if you're a Raptor guy going on these Raptor runs or if you're a UTV guy or, or also Raptor runs like down in Mexico or whatever, a lot of those types of groups will require you to have a Lowrance as well. So there's a couple factors. How you want to manage your data, who are you riding with, and really what are you doing? And if the guy so, running the machine uh, yeah. is smart enough and knows how to push the right buttons. That's where my YouTube channel comes in. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll find everything mentioned on the show so far at ruggedroutes.com. Stephen, uh, you you have been busy. Congrats on the success. This is this is very cool. We're probably gonna have to check in with you again as you unveil more products. And don't forget uh, Rugged yeah. Rocks Off Road for you Nissan fans. Also, if you're looking for uh, products that exist out there for your Nissan, and if you're having a hard time uh, figuring out what the aftermarket offers, a lot of it's all at uh, Rugged Rocks Off-Road. Yeah, and you, and you guys in the East Coast, uh, blow him up. Get him to do some uh, some uh, Texas and Montana and 
Florida routes. I, I like how you said the East like Coast, and then you immediately go to Texas well, and Montana. I, so I went, I went East Coast, but then I realized I was about to skip the middle of the country. So then I went back, <laughs> you went to, back, Texas, and then you went back to Florida. Went back to Florida. Yes. Right, right. That's what happened. Uh-huh. That's how my mind works. Yeah, yeah. My, <laughs> it's all good. But yeah, definitely give me a call on those. I, I'd love to hear from more people on the East Coast for sure. Awesome, right. man. Well, we appreciate uh, you carving out the time for us, and uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah, thank you guys. Good having. Thanks, Steve. We. Uh, w- I'll call you when we get the frontier project going. You know, everyone can hear you. Oh right? yeah. Well, if well, if 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 you if, whisper, if happens, they can still hear you. I'm just saying, if we if it, well, yeah, we'll. Anyway, I'm just saying, I know a guy. Is this the project that we're not nah, allowed yeah, to talk yeah, about? Yeah, we're not talking air? about it yet. Oh, I'm just saying, I'm telling him. But they heard you whisper it a minute yeah, ago. That's fine. Just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Talk yeah, to you definitely soon. give me a call. All, All right, right, have a good one, guys. Go ahead. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Bye. So, Holman, if I'm not mistaken, you've got a review of some dieselness coming up. Uh, yeah, it's the truck that you actually rode in when we headed on down to the uh, the Bilstein party a few weeks ago. Yeah, that was that uh, charcoal gray. Was it a 25 or 3500? I can't remember. Granite Crystal Ram 2500 Rebel. All right, so give me some truck review. Truck review. So it's been almost a year since I have been in a Ram diesel. So it was uh, good to uh, get reacquainted with it. And a uh, lot of great upgrades for uh, for 24. So I have a question. Are, are you going to go like drivetrain and interior suspension? Or how are you going to break this well, up? Let me talk about what the Rebel is and it isn't. So everybody's familiar with the Power Wagon. It's gas only. It's 410 gears. It's 33-inch tires. It's front and rear lockers. It's a disconnecting front sway bar. It's a factory winch. All of that's in the Power Wagon. The problem is the Power Wagon only has a payload of 1,610 pounds. And the Power Wagon can only tow 10,570 pounds. So there's a gazillion people out there who said, I really love the Power Wagon. It's the truck for me, but I need a diesel. And by the way, I don't quite need all that off-road capability. I'd rather have more hauling payload and work capability. But I like that look. I like it. So Ram said, okay. We're going to do a Rebel HD. So that's taken off from the Rebel that is on the 1500 and basically applying a similar package to the 2500, but make it kind of like a power wagon light. So you can still get 33-inch tires. They're uh, all-terrains, but they're on a 20-inch wheel. You can still get a locker, but it's rear only. There's no more front uh, sway bar disconnect, and you aren't able to get the $2,500 factory winch on a non-gas uh, Rebel. Rebel's available in both mm. gas and diesel, uh, so that's a good thing. Now, if you get a gas Rebel, that 10,570 jumps up to 16,870 uh, for towing, and your payload jumps up to 3,140 pounds. From, that's from sizable. From, from gas to diesel. So Wow. No, from gas to gas. Oh, from gas to gas. So gas to diesel, if you choose the diesel option on the uh, Rebel HD, you go... Um, from 16,870 on the gas to 14,920 on the diesel. So still a sizable jump from 10,570. And your payload goes to almost 2,000 pounds, 1980 versus the 3,140. That diesel engine weighs a lot in the drivetrain. Gotcha. But you get uh, 1980 versus the 16,10 on the power wagon. So I think it's the right truck for people who want that power wagon look and and overall aggressiveness and and near power wagon off-road capability but need more capability for everyday driving of course the uh, 64 is a 410 429 on horsepower and torque and the ram 67 it's a non-ho so it's 370 horsepower and 850 pound feet of torque 
And um, can you get the HO? Do you know? Uh, yeah. I do not believe you can get the HO because mm. it's on a 2500. Oh, yeah. HO is only 3500. So you get the uh, rear coil springs. Uh, some of the upgrades are you get skid plates, you get the uh, the 20 inch uh, Wrangler Dirt Track tires, uh, 33s on a 20 inch wheel. You get Bill Stein shocks, just like the Power Wagon, tuned differently for the uh, for the diesel. Uh, and then you get a bunch of other cool things. There's a uh, kind of a induction looking hood. Uh, Don't one, gloss past that. Like that hood is one of the first things I noticed. Like it stands up proud. Kind of looks like a three ninety two hood, except on a Ram. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess you're right. It's it, like what is it like two and a half, three inches taller than the normal? Yeah. Hood? De- definitely has a more aggressive hood bulge to it than uh, than on the standard truck. And uh, the twenty fours also have those really dumb new mirrors. I'm torn on those. I don't, I don't so like So it them. looks like all the guys that we make fun they of They look like your trailer toe like, mirrors up all the time. Exactly. But they're not as dumb looking as when you accidentally leave your tow mirrors up. No, so they're they look, integrated. They yeah. have the LED lights to them. They have cameras integrated in them. They have blind spot, all that stuff. I get all that, but they're not as uh, svelte as the original HD mirrors. And the other thing is there's a lot less visibility. They block a lot more outward visibility from the truck than the old mirrors. This also has the new digital cluster, which uh, I, I'm i torn on digital clusters because I just think if they go wrong, then whatever. But um, I guess they're pretty reliable now. And I guess all the needles are uh, attached to computers these days anyway. So uh, I just like the physical gauges. But this one's not bad because it's super configurable. There's like eight different things that you can do with it to make it show you the parameters or parameters that you want it to. I was... can't just say that and go through it just it, steamroll overall i was really impressed with uh with the truck it's nice and quiet i will say that uh the one thing i would change on that truck can you can you guess what it is well the mirrors uh but aside from the I mirrors can, i can live with the mirrors they're just not my favorite uh what would you oh what would you uh oh god uh suspension what did you think about the ride quality and how quiet it was going down to uh, so Poway? a very very quiet inside mm-hmm still bumpy uh i feel like it's the, that first inch of travel is just too still too rigid uh boy it's not the suspension what would you change uh i would put a 18 inch wheel on it there's just oh, not yeah, enough sidewall you, you need more tire I, right. I think if you had more tire sidewall that truck would be way more pleasant to go it, it's it's nice on smooth roads. The Bilstein's do an incredible job, but you're right. It's that like broken pavement, that little square edge stuff. It's the really sharp stuff in that first, you know, kind of inch, inch and a half of travel. That's all going through your sidewall, 100%. So I, I think that a 20 was the wrong choice. I know they did it because they wanted to have a big wheel on a big truck, but I really think an 18 would have been the sweet spot on but this one. But the 20s do look better. I mean, you, you they I look know, okay. The, the wheel design is the well, wagon no, no, wheel. I, I know it's, it's it's not a great wheel style, but I'm glad okay. they went the 20s because it was that ugly style on an 18. It would look. Uh, can I ask you this? Would the brakes have fit under an 18? Uh, the power wagon has 17, so I would imagine yes. What did you feel about the the power? I mean, there has been some minor changes to the six seven Cummins over the last you know since oh seven and a half when it debuted, but not like major major. This truck is still a DJ body style. I know there's been a ton of changes the new dash with the uh, the this generation, um, but it's a little rough around some of the edges. Not the interior. The interior is spectacular. Uh, I, I love everything about it, but you can still hear that big old fan on the Cummins at times feel like it's pulling you like an airplane propeller through the parking lot. Uh, the way the shifter is on the column, there's that 
interface into the the drivetrain is definitely a clunk and is very, very positive. Some people will like that. Some people won't like that. Um, I'm indifferent to it, but I'm just throwing it out there. But on the power delivery, I feel like basically, for the most part, all the Fords and GMs have a really amazing spec on power. If this thing had either an 8-speed automatic instead of a 6-speed or even a 10-speed like the competitors and like 400 horsepower, it would be pretty good. The pedal has some latency to it and there's still a little bit of turbo lag, which I think, you know, obviously Banks makes a bunch of stuff that can kind of tune all that out um, and help with it. But I feel like it's just a little bit short on horsepower because when you go to pass somebody, it's it's fast. It'll do 0 to 60 in 7.5 seconds for a big truck, but it doesn't push you back the way the Super Duty does now. That's true. And we, we talk about turbo lag all the time when we mention, you know, products like the Pedal Monster, stuff like that. But man, there's, there is a lot of it and it's hard to get by because some guys really complain like it's, I don't want to say it's dangerous, but it it's borderline dangerous when you're trying to pass and you hit the, the pedal and there's just, there's nothing freaking there. And it's so different in the Ford. Like it is so wildly different in the Ford. It's just V8 versus well, that lumbering well, the, straight The six. other thing is, I don't know if... You know, Ford makes their own engine now, right? And Ram is integrating somebody else's engine into the platform. I know you guys love your Cummins. We all love our Cummins. But I think that that is an extra layer of engineering that has to get done. And it doesn't always feel like a perfect match. There's a few little holes that I I found in it. Don't get me wrong. I love the truck. These are fantastic trucks. And most people will never need... Uh, 850 pound-feet of torque, let alone a 1,000 of some of the competitors or the high-output version of this. But the high-output version of this engine definitely feels a lot sportier. In this, like I said, it just needs a little bit more. 400 horsepower, maybe 900 pound-feet of torque, not a lot, just a little bit to help it scoot a little bit more. And the other thing is, I'll laugh because you guys are going to kick my butt for saying this, but... With that 850, it's no slouch. You could hear the tire rubber go <laughs> on acceleration as the tread blocks absolutely scream in protest, which is a little bit See, funny. I don't think you need more horsepower or torque. It just takes too long to get there because there's only so much the VG turbo can do. The turbo is just too big, in my opinion. So what, what would you do to get that out? Would a pedal monster fix it? A monster I ram? Think a big ass... Uh, Intake, filter uh, so, intake. so I think that there are airflow solutions that will for sure help. Like they'll definitely help. But I think they need, you need like a compound turbo or something. I, I honestly think and, if and, you had an eight-speed transmission, you would solve a lot of that problem. But I drive the HO, dude. Like we, our 20 HO, it has the same issue. Yeah, you've got a lower gear, but yeah, but your HO's on that probably a heavier truck, right? So is a, it a dually? It's a no. It's a thirty-five hundred single rear wheel and. I drove it when it had the stock tires, you know, very similar setup on 20s. And then, you know, now it's sitting on 37s. Of course, it's worse on 37s. We didn't re-gear it or anything. But uh, I really think that they need a smaller turbo. They need a smaller turbo feeding the bigger, whatever, however it works in a compound setup. Or, 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 or twins that are smaller because it just doesn't spool up fast enough. That's the biggest problem. I think it's got all the horsepower you need. This turned into a lightning review, but like that's my issue with the Cummins. I think it's a freaking awesome engine. It just takes forever to get there. Yeah, I think if you haven't driven the competition, you don't know how good the Duramax and the Power Stroke engines have become now because there was a point where probably seven, eight years ago where they were roughly on par 
and the the Cummins, I think when it was first to hit that thousand, was pretty amazing. And the I'll tell you right now, the competitors have not slept on that powertrain at all. Uh, other than that, the it feels like a Ram. The seating position is Ram. You step up tall in it. This truck didn't have any side steps on it, so you like had to hoist yourself. My kid almost fell out when I dropped her off at school one morning. Kind of surprised how tall they, it was. Why didn't they put uh, steps in, off road model? They got media oh. taking that thing off road. It's a Rebel HD. They don't want to, you know, have body damage and people pushing them into the body or ripping them off. Gotcha. Uh, but they offer it, so if you wanted that, that'd be great. Um, otherwise, it's it's a great all around truck. I was uh, I was happy to uh, to be in it for a week and get reacquainted with it. And I did something like in you know, like I said, short of a thousand miles. I think my best tank was like 19 miles per gallon, and I think my mixed driving was something like you know 15 or something. That's still pretty. And I good. was like, I was totally fine with that. And that was yeah. on a truck that had like a thousand miles, so it wasn't even broken in yet. And uh, I, amazing how quiet it was on smooth pavement. The ride was phenomenal. I would still uh, love a tire with a little bit more sidewall. I think that would help on those those smaller bumps and broken pavement things like that. But but overall, a great package. Again, I think if you're a guy who loves the power wagon but you just can't get away with gas or with a ten thousand five hundred and seventy pound tow rating and sixteen hundred pounds isn't enough. Uh, as far as payload goes, this might be that perfect truck for you to uh, to be able to get that off-road capability with the rear locker. You still get the skid plates, all-terrain tires, the tow hooks, but you get a lot more everyday truck capability. Can I tell you the one reason that you uh, you left out that I think you're going to agree with me on? Okay. The one reason to buy the 6.7 this, in this package? Why? The exhaust brake. The exhaust brake is great. The ex- no, the sound of the exhaust brake is like almost like a Jake brake. It's yeah, like, it's, it's, yeah, definitely the other ones don't do that cool no. diesel noise. And when the Duramax doesn't make any noise, barely. The Ford, okay. The the Ram, that exhaust brake on that Cummins still is noisy and gurgly and sounds like you're in a Peterbilt. It's so dope. So on the Holman scale, 1 to 10, 10 being best, where where does it sit? Uh, I give it a solid 8.5. Oh, nice. Okay. So if you uh, are a Power Wagon fan, but you need a little bit more truck than uh, off-road capability, the uh, Ram Rebel HD might be just the truck for you. All right, peeps, it's time to hit the hotline, 657-205-6105. Oh, come on and be part of the show. Call the five-star hotline, 657-205-6105. It's the five-star hotline. Five-star Hello, Lightning Holman. This is Justin Cox from Chico. I was just driving back from work to Chico, and I saw a little Nissan pickup truck that I've never seen before. It was an MP300, and um, I don't know. I couldn't tell if it was unibody or not. Quickly, it looked like it still had a solid axle. But yeah, I've never seen one in the U.S. Never seen one for sale. I didn't know if it was like a European truck that's over here, or if they do sell some over here. It was kind of a cool little mini truck and uh also i wondered i don't someone might have also brought this up already too but i was behind one of the new broncos the other day and it looks like the rear diff in the rear end is offset slightly thick driver's side not dead set lined up with like the hitch kind of like the old uh, some of the old flat fender like land cruisers and stuff like that i was just curious if that's actually true or if it was just an optical illusion and uh yeah, keep it up. Love the show. Bye. 
Uh, let's see. On the uh, on the MP300, that's basically our old frontier, roughly. So that's probably a truck. I'm guessing if you're in Chico, it probably came from uh, Mexico. Um, but uh, yeah, it was actually called the uh, NP300 Hardbody. Believe it was or not, was it really? It was. Huh. Yep. So uh, it's uh, basically the version of the frontier. The first generation Frontier that I believe had the torsion bars in the uh, in the front still. And, still going uh, strong. St- yeah, still going strong. And as far as the uh, diff being offset uh, on the Bronco, the housing might have more material on one side than, than the other. I do believe that's uh, perfectly center line as far as the, uh, the input goes on the pinion. Um, but it might be offset a little bit, for example, on a Jeep with a Dana 44 in the back. It has a different length uh, axle shaft on one side than the other. And Bronco, I believe, uses the, basically the same Dana 220 rear axle. Um, but I just, I'm drawing a blank right now. So, Yeah, but uh, there are quite a few trucks out there that do have unequal axle lengths, right? Left and right? Yeah. Just because it's it's some more than some, others. Sometimes it's packaging. Uh, sometimes it's just the way the gears are set up on the inside. So the trip, yeah. the, the, the Humvee at work, when you saw the our hybrid Humvee that we're working on for the mm-hmm. Army, right? The three liter diesel is sitting at an angle like I don't know six eight degrees. It sits it the drive line's diagonal. So is the uh, well when Gail was originally working on the F one hundred on speed bump, uh, it's also off to one side, so the turbos would clear the steering shaft. And if you look at a F one fifty, I don't know if a current one, but the last generation, it was also offset to one side. The oh, no drivetrain was; it's not dead center. So that's not uh, uncommon for drivetrain. I don't remember if Bronco is offset, but if the engine's offset to one side, then essentially what would happen is the crankshaft line going through the transmission to the differential would all be in line, so it would all be off to one side. So you would build the rear differential with a longer tube on one side than the other, so that you're capturing the center of the drivetrain, not right. the center of the vehicle. Um, that Manufacturers do that all the time. Most people just don't notice. And I'm not, I haven't thought about a Bronco that way, so I'm not sure how to answer that. Mm. But I can tell you that's not, it's, but I can tell you it's not uncommon. So you have to decide, Holman, you have to, uh, either a uh, an offset axle in the rear or an offset steering wheel, which you choose? Uh, offset axle in the rear. The only problem with that is that you have different length axle shafts. So if you break one off-roading, you actually have to carry two spares instead of one. So that kind of sucks. Hey, Lightning and Holman, I, uh, this is Calvin. I decided that binge listening to the first episode or the first bunch of episodes from the last two months wasn't enough. So I decided that I'm going to listen to all 300 plus episodes again because <laughs> I have nothing better to do. <laughs> You've got well, something gotta, better to I do. Pause that. There's no way he's telling the truth. No one's got no. that kind of time, no. or or no one has a hankering for that kind of pain. <laughs> just go find a girlfriend, dude. <laughs> Come on now. And may as well. And I just wanted to give you guys a uh, positive review that you guys have definitely lowered the suckage because you were very California pompous to a high degree. And I, I actually the show thought has actually gotten. Better. I actually thought he was going to say that we were very, very bad in the beginning. That's where I thought he was going with well, that. Well, because that would have been accurate, but it's true. To a high degree. And the show has actually gotten better. So <laughs> There's not a lot of confidence <laughs> in his voice. He's like, actually gotten better. He realizes that he's lying. He choked on he the said. words as they came out. Uh, and also, I forgot. What do you suppose he's doing in the background? Typing? Is he a stenographer? No, no, no. No, it is. He's the person behind the counter at the airline. 
and somebody is in front of him <laughs> needing to redo their flight, and uh-huh. so he's just pushing buttons. How long some of the jingles were when the show first started, that was a rough listen. But <laughs> I just want to say you guys are doing great. The truck show, the truck show. And uh, I'm kind of sad, but I've listened to all of the 5-liter Cummins stuff and the Nissan Titan XD. Uh, with a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. <laughs> and kind of sad that that was gone. Also kind of sad to hear that the Titan altogether is going to be gone. So if you can find any more Titan coverage just to give it a last send-off, that'd be awesome. All right. Bye. I sound so depressed. Well, I know. That wasn't a good way to edit. Uh, well, I'm a little sad because that uh, 2020 Titan uh, two-wheel drive that I've been driving around for the past four months or five months now is uh, going back on uh, on Monday. So I will be Titanless. I've enjoyed uh, driving that thing around. It's you know how many miles uh, Lightning put on that Titan? Mm, Goose zero. egg. Zero. Yep. Hello, Jay and Sean. Frederick here from Eastern Canada, calling in for the first time, although I've listened to every episode. Uh, just driving back from uh, work uh, towards home late at night. I was listening to the latest episode and uh, was hearing you to um, debate about the new engine in the future, TRX from Atlantis, uh, and how a straight-six turbo does not have sound although Sean was open to it. Uh, I just wanted to share that uh, when I was young and crazy, I ordered a Nissan Skyline uh, right-hand drive through a broker uh, from an auction in Japan. And it wasn't even the GTR, it was just a GTST with the two-liter turbo, but it was a straight six, and that thing sounded really, really good. So I uh, don't know if uh, Atlantis can pull it off, but uh, I know Nissan could. So um, just wanted to share that. And also, I've been meaning to call for a long time to maybe help solve the pronunciation from your uh, drop about the parameters. I'm actually a native French speaker who was born in the province of Quebec, and the parameter pronunciation uh, is something that a lot of native French speakers get wrong because when they read it, the intonation of how you pronounce it in French is paramètre. When people kind of translate letter, you know, speaking in English, uh, I've had a couple of colleagues that I work in engineering say parameter English-speaking um, colleagues at some point. So, not saying this is totally what explains the drop, but uh, could be. So, keep up the good work, and uh, maybe I'll call another time. Bye for now. Master monitor key engine parameters. She definitely does not sound like she's, she's a native no. uh, French speaker, but no. uh, I do like that angle. That's uh, I think that's cool. So what he's telling us is that in uh, French-speaking Canada, uh, Canada, we, we have the opportunity to sell a lot of T-shirts. Master parameters. No, in all seriousness, we uh, we love that you uh, left us that message, and uh, hopefully you'll give us a call back. I will say 
One thing Nissan has done really well in the history of Nissan vehicles is they know how to make a V6 sound great. I haven't heard a straight six skyline, but it sounds like they also know how to make a straight six sound great. Here's the thing. You look at a Ford EcoBoost and they sound like trash. They, they just do. A Ford EcoBoost is awful. Even a Ford GT doesn't sound amazing. It just... Why can't they do something about but it? But think about it. So an EcoBoost is a direct-injected 3.5-liter dual-overhead cam turbocharged V6. Yeah. And it sounds like butt. Right. A being, Nissan, by the way, you're being kind. A Nissan GTR, 3.8-liter turbocharged direct-injected dual-overhead cam V6. Yeah. Sounds phenomenal. I know. If the F-150 Raptor or the GT sounded like a GTR from Nissan, nobody would complain about the exhaust. And it's like the thing is like, I love the EcoBoost. It's a great engine. It sounds horrible. So why can Nissan do it and Ford can't? I don't know. Maybe they have an ear for it the way Italians have an ear for a a 12-cylinder. Or maybe it has to do with the firing order. I have no idea. I just know that a Nissan GTR has a similar displacement and configuration, and it sounds freaking amazing. And nobody goes into a GTR and goes, oh, this 650 horsepower, whatever it is, Nismo GTR sure sounds like ass. No, they all go, dude, that thing's sick. And nobody gets into a Raptor, not an R, a standard Raptor with a 3.5 EcoBoost and goes, dude, this thing sounds awesome. Nobody. Just don't do it. And it's sad. Who can we get on the phone to talk about this? Because you said something just a moment ago, firing order. And I didn't think about that because that really can change the That would the be the only thing that I would think about. And I don't know if the, you know, the mufflers, the crossover, the philosophy of the manufacturer, the noise requirements you have to hit, maybe that's part of it. But I drove when, when this generation of Raptor came out and we did the drive, we had 50 of them, maybe 40 going out on an hour and a half drive to get to the desert location where we did the testing. All media in a big, long line. And I rolled down my window and just listening to 40-plus ego beats. Like a bunch of bumblebees or something? (laughs) It was the worst sound ever. And I'm thinking, if this was all V8s, or in this case, all Nissan GTRs, you would be like, yeah. Hey, Lightning and Holman. This is Hayden. I don't know how good my uh, audio quality here is, but I'm uh, driving spud truck during a potato harvest. But I just had a quick question while I've been thinking out in the field. I was talking with one of my buddies. He's a vehicle enthusiast, too, and he, he rebuilds a lot of uh, 60s, 70s off-roaders. We are talking about the scout that Volkswagen is making, and he had an interesting take. He was talking about how that he thinks that there's no commitments or brand loyalty anymore, or at least there won't be past the next generation of uh, vehicle enthusiasts because cars just aren't as unique as they were before. And now I know how my potatoes get bruised up because he's been <laughs> bouncing along as he's talking to uh-huh. us. <laughs> By the way, a, uh, a spud farmer or whatever he called himself, uh, that's that's comedy. A spud truck. Spud truck. You get the same basic vehicle with different flavors from different brands and then with a lot of the rebranding and a lot of the uh, revival vehicles that we see coming out with names of older vehicles that they don't do proper homage or that they aren't there are a few exceptions out there but that they don't have as much character and since you guys are kind of uh front and center with experiencing a lot of the newer vehicles than most people i thought i would ask you if you agree with that if you think that Modern vehicles lack character, and therefore there's not going to be as many like uh, hardcore 
enthusiasts in specific vehicles. Like, you know, Tacoma guys aren't going to be as big, or, you know, you're not going to have Bronco guys in the future because the modern Bronco isn't uh, isn't cool and unique enough. Just thought I'd get your guys' opinion. Um, as always, it's a great show, and keep on going. Thank you. Thank you for uh, delivering those spuds on time, and I disagree. I think that enthusiasts will be around as long as there will be cool trucks and cars. And um, I, I do understand your point, but I think that, like, there are going to be brands like Tesla, and there's going to be brands like, you know, a lot of the electric cars that have to have really swoopy lines and super aerodynamic. But I think that the enthusiast market since it will always be there, there will be manufacturers that will cater to it. I'm sure the new Tacoma, the hybrid, for example, could be a lot more aerodynamic and could look lame, but it's not. It looks good and because they're trying to appeal to enthusiasts. Holman, do you agree, disagree? Uh, I, I'm going to take this one down the middle. I, to, to answer this question, you have to understand, uh, you, you talked about revival or what we would call retro. There's a lot of brands out there that tried to bring back something else. Scout is the one he's mentioning. Ford just did it with the Bronco. They did it with the T-Bird. Volkswagen had a a new Beetle that came after the Bug that was cool for tapping into that, but I don't think aged as well as it could have. Meanwhile, you have real vehicles that have an unbroken lineage from the past that are evolutionary designs and not a jumping back end of what you think they would be today. That would be a Porsche 911. Mm-hmm. That would be a Jeep Wrangler or even a Ford Mustang. So on those vehicles... I think that those that unbroken evolutionary heritage keeps them cool. I think the other ones are flash in the pans. The other thing I'll say is there are electric vehicles coming out. And if you look at the new Mercedes EQS lineup. Which I'm seeing quite a few. They all look nasty. They all look like a jelly bean that got sucked on and then spit out because it was a licorice one or something like that. And they're just... Well, it's because it's developed in a wind tunnel. I, I get it. But that's the personality he's talking about. You could make those cars a lot better. Jeep has their uh, new Recon battery EV coming out. And Jeep has already said, we are going to have square boxy lines. We know that's at the expense of you know fuel economy, EV range, however mm-hmm. you want to say right. it. Yeah, yeah. But that's iconic to our brand. We need to make sure that we have those square edges. Um, there's other manufacturers out there who are coming out with vehicles that, that cheat the wind but don't look like they were born in, in a cough drop <clears throat> lozenge factory. So when you and I were kids... We took really boring cars like Honda Accords and Civics that were just people movers, and we put skirts on them, we lowered them, we put wheels and tires, exhaust systems, sway bars, strut bars, tinted the windows, big stereos. We made the non-cool cars cool, right? And yeah, I were think they really was, not cool, though? Yeah, they were not uh, cool. I don't know about that. No, dude, I had a 94 Accord that a grandma could have driven. It was super dull. And I did everything to it, and then it looked like a kid car and an enthusiast. Yeah, but vehicle. you say the same thing about a Beetle or a Volkswagen bus well, in I, their day. I, but but see what I what I'm getting at is that you can you have can modify enthusiasm. anything. Yes, even an F one fifty. Dude, look at look at come on a Tesla three. Is there anything more boring than a Tesla three? Yes, a Tesla Y. Y. So whatever. But Te- you, Tesla X. There's a place in Huntington Beach that puts them on air and they slam them and, and they still like, don't look right. Although the Prius look looks pretty badass, Lamb. So, did you see that. the one uh, yep. that, on BBS wheels yep. in Japan? Th- those wheels aren't my favorite. I wouldn't. No, have, I wouldn't no. have mixed. I wouldn't have mixed the cross laced wheels with the Prius design. I get what they're doing. They're trying to have that like late '90s BBS BMW 3 Series vibe on it. Fine, I I get it. But you could do so much better by that 
design with a different retro. Wheel I didn't on it. like the BBFs either. But my point was that you got a guy who has the new brand new Prius that looks pretty cool, and Holman and I are a little embarrassed to say that we, yeah, we, I like we it. both like it. I go buy Hol- one. Holman Wife brought told it to me my no. attention, and uh, yeah, I, I couldn't get it either. But uh, like, I, I think that enthusiasm will go on. You know, I just, I, I do. I think it's going to take a different form. I think it's going to be older vehicles. I think people are going to miss what we have today. And the missed opportunities, because what they're building now is only going to be a finite number as they get stolen and wrecked and parted out and all those things. And it's going to be like uh, the 60s vehicles. There's a lot of personality in today's vehicles. Tomorrow's well, but, but, vehicles are uh, going to be mandated. Look at every design in the world now has been completely bastardized and watered down because of pedestrian safety standards, because of um, wind tunnel, because of efficiency and so it's it sucks because there's only like just the other day, what was I drove something I showed you something? Oh, that looks like a whatever other truck. Oh, it's the F one fifty. That's exactly the point that he's saying is everything looks the same because there's only so much you can do and everybody has to design the same three box or two box form factor into something that has this kind of wind cheating form and this kind of range. So the uh, I think the companies that try and stay true as long as possible to their design elements are going to win the day because they're still going to have personality. Mm. I do the, but I think you can create personality where there maybe was very little I, to start with. Okay. So you would take an EQS, whatever, and you would make one of those cool? Yeah. Nah, there's no way. I would. Why? you would, Okay. So what would you do? You would put wheels on it. Big deal. Uh, I would put wheels, uh, some uh-huh. rabbits. Somebody's going to make a kit for it, you know, to uh, skirts. Just, if there's no a edges splitter, to it. All that stuff. A splitter's not going to fix the way the jelly. Well, no, I'm like just taking a like jelly belly and shoving a toothpick in it. And I, uh, someone's going to have one on a set of 21s or twos it, or something. That's they come on really 22s. Good. Like, who cares? Okay. My point no, is. It's not my favorite Mercedes. T- I, I know, but you're arguing for it. I just think that you can take, there's a whole subculture of people taking, dude, you find there's a van culture. I mean, is there anything sillier to mod than a van? But they make them cool, you know? Uh, Vans are cool. Not all vans are cool. A lot better than this freaking ugly ass BMW or the EQS, which is just a blob. I'm not saying that I like the EQS. This one has uh body kit on it it has wheels and tires on it and it still looks like and it's got a matte wrap on it it needs and it to still be looks lowered awful. but w- what i'm what i'm saying is that i think that your son or daughter will find automotive enthusiasm in something that you don't see and then you'll that you don't get them. and then you what disown them <laughs> maybe so <laughs> Well, look, we uh, we appreciate the question. We like the uh, the debate and the argument, and we love to know what you guys think. So, if you uh, disagree with lighting, please email me at Holman at truckshowpodcast.com or truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you disagree with Holman and you think that you can have enthusiasm and uh, for any vehicle on the road at lightning at truckshowpodcast.com. Oh. All right, it's time for some. Shut up over there. Or time for some email. Email us both Stop at truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Talking about sending us email, lightning at truckshowpodcast.com, Holman at truckshowpodcast.com, or the general email box, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. All right, uh, I'm going to start off your Frontier spotting from Brian Hansel. Hey, whole shot and light bar. Here's a Frontier I saw on the way home from work today Nissan NP300 from Mexico. What a trip! Two NP300s on the same show. 
I was brought back to my youth when I saw the cam latch tailgate latches and integrated tie downs around the outside of the bed. Reminded me of the old Toyota pickups from the 70s and early 80s. Does this count? This counts, right? Uh, yes, this definitely counts. It is not a Frontier, but it is a Nissan pickup. Uh, keep those parameters mounted. Mounted parameters! Everything matters. Thanks for watching, and remember, everything matters. And five stars from Emmy. Five star review! Five stars! I got one here from King. Says, uh, hey guys, I'm still time traveling through the episodes and have finally reached the 200s. So Lightning has brought up this digital plate many times now and seems to be really backing it, even though it has a tracker in it. Obviously talking about the digital reviver plates that you're starting to see pop up everywhere. This is a terrible idea. The look is not worth the invasion. My wife has a 2022 Volkswagen Atlas R-Line. It has a, so does the wife. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, your family has one too. It has a camera feature that reads the street signs and displays the speed limit on the dash. This is great until the digital tracker attached to your license plate is combined with that camera feature and they start sending you speeding tickets in the mail. It's a slippery slope. The aesthetics are not worth giving up freedom. Still loving the show. The suckage is way down from the early days. King, P.S. My favorite jingle is Truck Famous. Don't know if you're all still using it in the future. And uh, let's go ahead and play a Truck Famous for King. Here we go. Truck Famous. Hero. Star. VIP. Ace. Big Wave. Hot Shot. Truck Famous. Big Shot. Big Deal. Big Gun. Big Cheese. Heavyweight. Superstar. Truck Famous. That's what you are. Appreciate it, King. Thank you. All right. Uh, Victor Rodriguez sends one also frontier spotting. I know I'm super duper late, but send me a damn sticker. <laughs> and there's his picture of a Nissan Frontier taken from the cab of his truck. We're still doing this, dude. If you want a Truck Show Podcast sticker, I've got just a few left I can send out. Take a photo of a Nissan Frontier. Any uh, generation will do. And uh, send it to us, lightning at truckshowpodcast.com, home at truckshowpodcast.com, or wherever. I got this one uh, from Anthony Hodges, and the uh, subject is Flat Earth Expeditions. Hey, lit up and holding. Just wanted to let you guys know we're putting together a massive expedition to the edge of the earth. So I'm guessing this is <laughs> off of my rant on flat earthers. Uh. He says, to see the ice wall and want to invite you guys along, we're sourcing the expedition vehicles as I type this. We've settled on a Dodge Ram, but the group is arguing over 6-7 Cummins... Yes, the G capitalized. Oh, does he really? Six, seven Cummings or the five, nine pre-deaf power plants. Sorry, we know. Jizzalent. If we go modern six, seven, could you suggest a good delete kit? Space will be at a premium and carrying death <laughs> would eat up precious room. There's also some... <laughs> There's also some debate about huge rooftop tents and ground tents. I think a rooftop tent might make climbing the ice walls a little unnerving, but others insist it can't be done in an overland expedition if we don't use a rooftop tent. We are also debating what parameter monitoring system to use, but if Lit Up could cut us a deal, I think I can persuade them to use Banks iDash. Well, we gotta go stock up on some Dr. Pepper premium cigars and a few bottles on Pappy for Happy Hour. Hopefully you guys will join us. I suddenly have a craving for biscuits and honey sauce. Yeah, buddy. Anthony Hodges. Very, very well done, Anthony. Uh, let's uh, let's give him uh, an applause for that. Uh, that's enough of the applause. Here you go. Taste the biscuit. Taste the goodness of the biscuit. Mm. Taste the honey sauce. Yeah. Taste the goodness of the biscuit with the honey sauce. All right, next uh, email, please. <laughs> oh! I love that so much. 
I mean, uh, it is better when you watch it because there's a guy like carrying a couch behind him and who knows. The, the audio is pretty damn good. It's, Truck inappropriateness, horrible. need advice, gas or diesel from Matt Muela. Hey, fellas, love the show. I appreciate all the advice and knowledge you guys provide. Thank you, Holman, for that. Lightning is just along for the ride. Uh, I put that in. I actually wrote that myself here. Just a heads up, I got a new oh, work my bell is stuck. iPhone. My bell is stuck. Trash your freaking bill. I got a new work phone. <laughs> I have to. Uh, where was I? I got a new work phone. So I got another. So you guys get another five-star review from yeah. me. Nice. Uh, I'm needing some advice on a truck purchase. I currently have a 2012 F-150 four-wheel drive Lariat EcoBoost. Love the truck, but it seems to be maxed out when I tow my camper. We tow it about six to eight times a year, but don't really go more than a couple hundred miles away because it only gets eight miles per gallon. I'd really like a diesel, but I don't know if it makes sense for my situation. My parameters are used between 2014 and 2020, 4x4, four-door, daily driver, Camper is bumper pole, but I have a family of six, so it's totally loaded down. Can I get an Emmy? Yeah, buddy. Mounted parameters and everything else matters. Thanks, guys. Yeah, buddy. Mounted monitor key engine parameters. Thanks for watching, and remember, everything matters. Uh, there is only one choice with family that big, especially if you're going all the way back to 2014. It's going to be a Ram Cummins uh, Mega Cab. That'd be my guess. That's it. That'd be, that would be the truck. That's it. The Mega Cab. Plenty of room. Yeah. yeah. Mega Cab wins all day long on that. And if you're going to the uh, older Cummins that are less complex, and that's that's the way to go. That's what I'm thinking. I can't. I can't. I, at first, I was thinking Ford, but no. As soon as you say the Mega Cab, well, and when you go back there, yeah, the, was, the Cummins is on par with all the other trucks too. And the engine is just so bulletproof in those years. You know what I mean? That's what I'm it saying. Just, yeah, that, that's the way to go, right? But I mean, the Mega Cab just dominates. When you get a Mega Cab today, it's a limousine back there. Well, when you fold it down like a bed, you know, if you got to pull over to rest up, your kids can sleep in the back, all that yeah. kind of good stuff. It's it's Mega Cab for me, Good dude. call. Good call. All right. Uh, I got one last one here uh, called Main Frontier Spotting. This is from Nicholas Hernandez. It says, hey, gents, another Frontier Spotting email. I saw what looks to be a base frontier on my way back from a five-day overlanding trip to the North Main Woods. I see more and more of these things every day. Would love a TSP sticker if you're still sending them out. Still waiting for a sticker from an email you read over the winter, LOL. Thanks for all your dedication to great content. Thanks, Nick. And uh, he's from, uh, looks like, Norton, Maine. So, Lightning, put that on your list. And he sends us a picture of, yeah, a uh, base model S crew cab with a ladder rack in the back. So there it is. Look, a little ladder whack in the back. Do you uh do you ever see that like the the stickers it's uh, for the all the Toyota guys it says look at my widow ladder <laughs> you haven't seen those stickers no. really that's, that's like a whole thing fun, now it's funny yeah it's yeah. like my widow ladder well, remember I hate Toyota so I, know. I wouldn't know right oh you got your widow got your widow ladder got your widow ladder on your TRD Pro I love the fact that people are clowning on those little ladders <laughs> widow ladder in the back by the way uh real quick. Uh, the first test drives of the Lexus GX550 prototype are just hitting right now. I didn't get invited to that. I got invited to the reveal, but not that, because apparently it was tied to a, some other trip they were doing in Japan. Okay. Or something. I don't know. Oh, wait. Hold on. You know who's actually on that trip to Japan or actually would have just gotten back? Is our buddy Caleb at The Drive. He yeah. was invited to that. We've been talking about having him on the show. So he uh, emailed me, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. He's like, dude, I want to still do it. I'm so sorry. I've been busy. No problem. So anyway, well, point I, being. You know I can hold over his head? He wants Banks parts. Yeah, I got a lot of 7.3 parts going. Yeah. Ford. 
All right, so uh, point being that the uh, GX550, everybody came back and was like, dude, that thing was awesome. Really? Yeah. So I'm excited. I can't wait to drive that thing because uh, that is uh, that is some honey sauce right there. Goodness of the biscuit with the honey sauce. Uh, the honey sauce, yeah. Holman at truckshowpodcast.com. That's him. Lightning at truckshowpodcast.com. That's me. Send us an email. We'd love to read it on the air. The Truck Show, The Truck Show, The Truck Show, oh, oh. Or hit up our general box, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, you can hit us up on social as well. At Truck Show Podcast, at Sean P. Holman, at LBC Lightning. And of course, we'd love to get your phone calls. So please uh, pick up that phone and dial 657-205-6105. If you're out on the road right now and you're bored and you're sad that the podcast has ended, you leave us a message and you can be on the next show. I want to hear from another spud driver. What do we call them? Spud? Spud? Spud truck. Spud truck. How many spud truck drivers do you think we have listening to us? That's a great band name though, right? <laughs> spud truck. Spud truck. Oh, that is cool. It's going to be like a 60s Ford ranch truck with a uh, a flatbed with like the stakes, steak bed style around it, all rattling around. And Mr. Potato Head's going to be standing in the back. So wait, are we playing live on the steak bed? Are we in it? Is that our band? No. Like, do we go through Hollywood no. playing? We're like, we're, our, we're Spud Truck. Our music plays better through the crappy old speakers inside the truck. It's just <laughs> emanating from within. You know what I say about potatoes, right? Potato? No. No. They're just flavor delivery devices. Flavor delivery devices. You would You're never right. eat a potato by itself, but once you put garlic and butter and sour Chives. cream or barbecue sauce or cheese or mm-hmm. whatever the case, ketchup, Onions, onion, whatever, right? It's yeah. just a flavor de- uh, delivery device. That's it. Hmm. Potatoes serve no other purpose on earth other than to make vegetable soups chewy. And deliver flavor of other things. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right because when's the last time you had cold French fries? They just when's the last time you just took a bite of a potato? Never. That's right. Huh? It's amazing that something like that is so popular. I'm not. I I love the potato. Don't get me wrong. I love tater tots and fries and potato skins and mashed potatoes. Potato beer cheese soup. It's similar to other vegetables like cauliflower or something that have no taste, and you got to dip them in ranch or something, right? That definitely uh, would make uh, me consider cauliflower. (laughs) Maybe. Hey guys, it's Miles, your producer here. Much like the potato, this podcast is also a delivery device. For suckage. (laughs) That's harsh. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Truck Famous LLC. This podcast was created by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please open your Apple Podcast or Spotify app and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan, there's no better way to show your support than by patronizing our sponsors. Some vehicles may have been harmed during the making of this podcast. Oh, you got your widow, got your widow wadder, got your widow wadder on your TRD Pro. Hmm? Gonna, gonna use that, that witty bitty wadder in case it gets rain, you know? In case you drive into the river. You can climb up your widow wadder to the top of your roof. Hmm?